Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. We get to talk about an exciting topic. You may not think it's exciting at first, but it really is. Talking about surrender. And I know that in some contexts that has a very negative idea, but we're going to talk about the benefits, the rewards that come with surrender specifically when we are honest with God about where we are. So let's just get started right now. Kim, tell me the story of what's been happening lately, because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about today. The story of what's been happening lately. Well, tell me what God's been doing over the last few days. You've mentioned some things. Uh, Yeah, so I have a good friend who I haven't seen in a few months. And we finally got a chance to get together on Monday, which I was excited about. So we're going on a walk, we're talking, we spend most of it catching up with her, and then we get back, and she's like, well, what's going on with your life? Like, let's catch up, let's talk. Like, it's, it's been a few months. And I start telling her, you know, just about life and what you and I are doing and all that stuff coming up. And then I start telling her... Oh, yeah, I started going to therapy, because it did. I, I just recently, I'm only two sessions in, so it's still kind of a new thing for me uh, to be doing therapy at all, but it was something that she had suggested a while back, and then took a few more people suggesting for it to get through my head that maybe it wasn't just a random thing, and that maybe God was like, hello, Kim, let me get your attention. <laughs> so she was very excited for me. Because I've been sharing a lot of my story, some of which, you know, people have heard, if they've listened to previous episodes, uh, they've heard bits and pieces of my story. Uh, So she was just really excited. But then she went on to use some language talking about that in my life that wound up hitting some sensitive trigger points for me. Uh, She used the word kind of that essentially what had happened is my childhood had handicapped me. And I could tell that she was struggling for words, like to find the right word that fit. And it just happens that she kind of chose the one word that was going to kind of hurt the most. And I don't think she did it on purpose at all. And of course, me being myself, I didn't realize it hurt until the next day. Mm. Because that is pretty typical for me to take longer for me to recognize what I was actually feeling. So you're an Enneagram 9. Yeah. And we're talking about those numbers. From your experience, is that something typical that you and others who have that same number deal with not being able to recognize right away or numb out to your feelings? I think so. I mean, it certainly is for me. I think because part of the thing for an Enneagram 9 is that you're trying to avoid anything that disturbs your inner and outer peace and emotions, especially painful ones that might potentially lead to anger are very uncomfortable. And because essentially, you know, you, you've learned that your feelings, your wants, your needs don't matter. So instead of fighting it, you just kind of numb out to it. So it can take longer to recognize those things. I'm doing better about it. (laughs) There's much shorter return times. And sometimes I'm even able to remember it in the moment. Just because it's 
something that can kind of mess with your connection with people that it takes longer for you to process. We're in the gut triad, which is instinct. So there's almost this instinctual just kind of distancing. Distancing from your emotions okay. right away because it wasn't safe or it wasn't welcome. Yeah. For those listening who maybe don't know what their number is yet. Yeah. Maybe this is an indicator if they're relating to you and having issues understanding or just identifying their feelings. I mean, sometimes that's that's just a general statement people make about men. Stereotypical ideas of men and women I don't find very helpful. Maybe that's just because I don't fall into those categories. Yeah. So, so anyway... I know we've talked about it before. I don't remember if we've talked about it on the podcast. But other things like not listening to your body and not being aware of what your body's telling you as far as like having to go to the bathroom or being uncomfortable. It will take you longer to notice because what nines do is they fall asleep to all of that stuff. So it's, it's, it's such a silly thing. It sounds in some ways to go like, you don't know when you have to go to the bathroom? Like, that's crazy. I remember there's been times where, like, I've been so focused on our conversation, you know, focusing on what someone else wants or needs, that then I leave and I'm driving home like, oh, man, I really have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> because you've fallen asleep to it. And that one, that, I was like, oh, that could just be me. But I actually listened to a podcast. They had a bunch of other nines on there that were actually all getting together and meeting like every few weeks at like a restaurant and stuff. And guy was like, do you guys deal with this too? And they're all like, most of them said yes. That's not something a lot of people think about. <laughs> but it comes with that too. And it, I think it probably for the nine, it could depend on what their childhood was like and how safe they felt expressing or experiencing their emotions. In my case... It wasn't safe. I mean, I got teased and mocked for my emotions by the people who should have been helping me deal with them. You know, at least on my father's end and then my, well, my sibling. <laughs> you know, between the two of them, we, we, you know very well how hard it is for me to cry around other people. And how easily, and that's an instinctual thing to stop it. It's not like I have to think about it. I get it, because... The deeper you go into the Enneagram, I mean, it's easy to understand at a surface level if you spend some time with it yeah. to get the numbers and, you know, the base desires, motivations, and fears of each number. But the, the longer or the deeper you go into the Enneagram, the more you find there's all these nuances and layers, your wings, which is, it's the numbers on both sides of you, which is eight and one. If you're a nine... And do you lean more into that to some of the characteristics of the one or the eight and all that? But there's also there's nine numbers in each section of three, as you were talking mm -hmm. about, represent a certain aspect of us, right? Yeah. So there's the head, the heart, and the body, right? And as you were saying, the instinct or gut or body triad is the eight, nine, and the one, right? 
the two, three, and the four is the heart triad, and the five, six, and seven is the head triad, which is where I fall, which would surprise some people <laughs> who know me and would think I'm more in the heart triad. But where it gets more complicated <laughs> is the fact that you can have you know, your predominant number be the head, but I still have a heart number that I tend to exhibit signs of and then a gut a body type and then and all that to say i'm a nine in the body so i understand what you're saying is it's a matter of focus it seems embarrassing to be able to say i don't notice when i have to go to the bathroom but i think it's a matter of focus and awareness when you're super hyper focused on something else that you like you say you can fall asleep or just not be aware Yeah. Right? So that can happen to me. Like, people looking around me can go, it's really hot. And until they say that, (laughs) I have not focused on my body being hot or cold. Yeah. Or needing to go to the bathroom. I can sit for a long time focused on work and not notice that I have to go to the bathroom. So none of that shocks me or surprises me that that can happen. Uh, I wanted people to understand some of the identifiers of what it means to be an Enneagram 9, it's just you never know who's listening and may not know yeah. any of this stuff. So going back to what you're saying, though, this person is talking to you and there's this moment where they mention that your past, to them it seems like it's handicapped you. Yeah. And you didn't notice that it was triggering you. So what, what ended up happening with that? I suspect it triggered me sooner than I thought. Ironically, while most of the time I go to sleep and avoid and, you know, I'll, there'll be lots of reading books and Netflix or whatever, every once in a while it has the opposite reaction and I never know when it's going to happen and I start going into project mode instead and start doing things. And I kind of feel like I'm, I started doing that because she left... And I go in the house, and normally by that point, I'm peopled out, which means I'm done. And I'm more than wanting to go back to my room and hide and, you know, not focus on anything. And for some reason, I started doing dishes and cleaning things. And, I mean, it was stuff that needed to be done, (laughs) don't get me wrong. But knowing me, like... Just along with some of the ADHD tendencies is the not knowing where to start. Which means then you just don't do it because you can't figure out where you're supposed to start with this things because it feels overwhelming. And the nine doesn't like being overwhelmed, so rather than deal with it, we ignore it. So, I mean, it's, it's why work can be exhausting or, you know, meeting with people or all these things that I actually love doing. But they can also be exhausting because I have to be aware and present. Well, in in the ideal world, I'm aware and present when I'm doing these things. But in this case, you didn't do it. In this case, I went into project mode instead, which, I mean, feels good. Still not dealing with anything, but it feels better, you know, because it's like, oh, look, I accomplished something. I'm getting something done. I suspect my one wing might have kicked in a little bit. It's like, no, our room is officially to the point where I'm going to kill you. Two hours later, I petered out and then went back into reading and before going to bed. So I woke up the next morning and I think 
was one of the first thoughts was like replaying that conversation and, and hitting that word handicapped and it just hurt. Just with my childhood, there's, there's been a lot of that fear of always feeling like you're one step behind everyone else. Like you, you're not in sync with people that are your peers. Why are they actually around me? Do they really like me or do they pity me? There's always been that doubt at the heart of it. And so I'm like, okay, well now I'm keen to wrestle with this, you know, and deal with the emotions that brought up. So how did you come to realize that you were hiding? To, it was our day to prayer walk. It's very hard to pray and be present to God and avoid things. People may not know what we're doing on our oh, yeah. prayer walks. What is that? What do we do? What is it all about? Yeah, you and I prayer walk every week, most of the time. We prayer walk your neighborhood one week, my neighborhood the other week. Part of what prayer does is it kind of prepares the ground, so to speak. That's I mean, that's part of it. You know, prayer precedes movement. Part of being a disciple is it's not just for us. God blesses us, but he blesses us to bless other people. Right. So, you know, the idea is what? Blessed to be a blessing. I might as well pitch that now. Right, right. Which is <laughs> what God said to Abraham, I'm blessing you and others will be blessed through you. Yeah, so when we go, we sit down, we spend time with God beforehand, preparing our hearts and praying for the people that we might run into. Preparing us to notice whatever it is God wants to highlight. And then we go and we're just, we're being present with God while we're walking in the neighborhood, looking for people to pray for or bless or talk with and have conversations or for God to highlight things at people's houses like, it could be something like a car with a sign that says something like, uh, most wanted. Right. Which we saw yesterday. Yes. Sign is, on the side of the car. Yeah. Yeah. And then going, God, why is this standing out to me? What do you want us to be praying for this household or this person? Yeah. And even just asking God, what direction do you want it, us to go? Most streets go more than one way. <laughs> that is true. That's the general you know, definition part of a street is it goes more in one direction. You know, so it's just being present to God, bringing his presence with us, blessing the people we come into contact with, whether we get to talk to them or not, and praying for God's hand to be at work in the people's lives of the houses that we go past. So we're out on our prayer walk, and... For my for my neighborhood, one of the streets that we take a lot is um, there's a dirt road that goes through all these different numbered streets. So when I was younger, I had a horse. And my friend, actually, that I grew up with lived on the same street. A different house in a slightly different direction. But I would take that dirt road all the way from my parents' end of the town to her end of the town, which is much closer to the beach, because my mom wouldn't take me, so the horse was my main mode of transportation Right. at the time. And that dirt road, I had it down. I could make it to her house in about 20, 25 minutes. But I just remember, we're walking along, we're, look, we're walking on the road, and I look down and I see all these rocks. Not something you generally pay attention to, unless we're worried about someone, you know, st- stepping on one and slipping and falling. But I remember just looking down, and at this point, I'm not running from God. I've been pre- We'd spent some time in prayer, and he's just pressing this on my heart. And I, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, of course. I mean, I, I know what to do with it, but I'm not quite ready to give it over to him and surrender it. 
And so I'm looking down. He's like, remember that video you watched yesterday? I'm like, on Facebook, I had a random, you know, you get all these random reels that they, of things you'll think you'll be interested in. And it was a picture of the person who shoes the horses. Farrier is the technical term. Cleaning out a horse's hoof and there's all these rocks in there. The kind of rocks where, like, the person who owned the horse wouldn't be able to do it themselves. I just remember thinking about all the times that I'd ridden this road to my friend's house and how I had to keep a hoof pick with me so that when I got there, I could check my horse's hooves. You know, we think of horses and their hooves and they get compared to human fingernails as far as, like, this mouse sensitivity, and that's true for the outside of the hoof, the part that the horse officially steps on the ground. But the inside part, the sole and the frog, are extremely sensitive and bruise extremely easily. If horses get rocks in there, and they do, if you don't take them out soon enough, the horse becomes lame really quickly. And if they stay in there long enough, they can form abscesses and bruises and all this other stuff. And, you know, it can take a horse out of commission for months, potentially, if these things aren't taken care of. And God's like, this is like your soul right now. You've got these things that they're, they're tiny rocks right now. What, what your friend said to you right now is still just a tiny rock. And it's stuck in there and it's bugging you a little bit. But it, it doesn't have to leave a bruise right now. But you have to give me your hoof, so to speak. You have to let me take this out of your foot. And I'm sitting there going like, I want to, but I don't want to. I kept thinking about this. I'm like, horses are instinctual creatures too. And they're prey animals. Mm. Which means their instinct is to run. But even worse for a prey animal is if you give up one of your feet to something... If you let go of control to something, you can't run anymore. So it's something we actually have to teach horses to do when they're little, ideally. And don't weigh a thousand pounds. When they only weigh a couple hundred pounds. Is to teach them that they're not in danger. If they give you if a they foot. Gi- yeah, if they give you a foot. Because once you have that foot in your hands, they can't run away. They're not capable of doing what they know to do to save themselves from danger, which is to run away. So it takes a lot of trust. And I've seen what happens when a horse doesn't trust. You know, we rescued a horse a while back. Oh gosh, I guess it's been almost 14 years now. We rescued a pregnant mare from a farm back in like South Dakota, North Dakota. And this mare had never had her feet done. Or if she had those kind of farms, often we'll put them in stocks and tie them up it wasn't a very positive experience (laughs) gotcha when and if they did that and these guys the reason that these horses were getting rescued is because they were running out of money so she probably had her feet done and it looked like probably a couple years which is bad because unless they're on rocks and hard ground that wear their feet down naturally their feet will just keep growing and that's another way for them to become lame so we go and we have our farrier come out to trim her feet well, there's all these jagged, ragged edges around her hoof, and it's it's twisted up in these weird directions. And he finally gets her to pick up her foot, which that's hard enough. This particular horse weighed probably thirteen or fourteen hundred pounds. She was a little bigger than your average horse, and it's very hard to convince something that big to pick up their foot if they don't want it to. Then you have to convince them to leave it there long enough. So he's taking these big old nippers and trimming off all the stuff that doesn't belong. Well, she freaks out, and she yanks her foot out. And there were so many sharp edges, she actually gashed his arm open. 
with her hoof in the process. And it wasn't, it wasn't like she was being a jerk. She was just literally scared. God's like, this is what you're doing. You're yanking your foot out from my hands, you know, your soul, where you've got all these rocks and not letting me remove them. I need you to surrender your foot to me so I can take these things out before they start becoming another wound that you're limping around with. He's like, I made you to have a free, abundant life. Well, guess what? If you're lame and you're limping, that's not a free, abundant life. Rocks aren't meant to be there. Give me your foot. Surrender. All your instincts are telling you that's the wrong decision to make. You want to run and you want to hide and you want to try to take care of it yourself. And it doesn't work. Those rocks just keep getting buried deeper and deeper until you can't even have someone else help you with it. And it's going to take the one expert to get them out. And it's going to hurt getting them out. Especially the ones that have been there for a while. Yeah. You talk about someone getting down and being dirty with you. Horses step in a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's a pretty good example of what God does for us. You know, there's mud in there. There's dirt. There's off another horse's poop in there mixed in with the rocks and everything else. I have yet to clean a horse's hooves and not come away with, with some form of dirt on myself. God's like, that's what I did. Like, I'm down here in this with you. So who's safer than the one who actually knows how to get these out? Mm. The picture I see is Jesus washing his disciples' feet, right? Yeah. There's that picture of, of God being the opposite of what we often think of him even when we pray. That he's above us, condemning us, looking down on us. Kind of like when your friend said to you, these things have handicapped you. It kind of made you feel, right, like like they were looking at you in a condescending way. They didn't mean to, but that's how it felt. Yeah. And that's how often how we feel when we approach God with our sense of shame, our anxiety, our worries, our fears, our struggles. When we fall into sinful patterns of behavior, we come to God and, and we have this instinctive idea that he's looking down at us and disapprovingly condemning us, right? Yeah. Or at least coming at us with a superior attitude. That invitation of giving him your foot, I see clearly the picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. In the book of John, you know, it tells us that very same night he told Peter he knew he was going to deny him that night. He told Judas that he knew he was going to betray him. Mm-hmm. The others, he also knew they were going to abandon him in his moment of greatest need that very night. Yeah. As they walk in off the street, there was no servant there to wash their feet, which was a typical thing, you know, that a host would offer. And it was a lowly position for a servant to wash all that crap. Yeah. You know, those they're walking streets with camels and donkeys and horses as the mode of transportation. So there's a lot of deposits, yeah. you know, on those streets, right? Yeah. And they're walking in and Jesus is the one who gets down on his knees and strips off his outer clothes and washes their feet. What a picture of who God is. If we ever come to a place where we think that God is looking down at us as we come with our filth, 
whatever that looks like, our rebellious mm-hmm. attitudes or our yeah. anxiety or our shame. There's the picture of Jesus who Scripture tells us is God in the flesh. If we want to see who God, what God is like, look at Jesus And here's Jesus getting down on his hands and knees, stripping off his outer clothes, down to basically his underwear, and washing the feet of those who he knew were going to betray him and deny him and abandon him that night. That's a beautiful picture of the invitation to surrender and why we can surrender to God. So in that moment, you have this picture. What did you do with that? I had to keep bringing it back to him. Sometimes surrender is a one-time thing, and frequently it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing as it comes back up. And he's like, well, let me tell you what I think about you instead. means you have to come to him. Like, that's part of the surrender, is coming to a place where you're still, and you're willing to go, God, this is what I have. Here it is. What do you say about this? What do you think about this? Because... I'm suspecting my thinking or feeling about this isn't right. I like that you said just a moment ago, not just what do you think about this and what do you see about this, but what do you think about me and what do you see when you look at me? Yeah, that's a big part of it because we always interpret everything through how we think God sees us and how we see ourselves. So it's easier for us to read into things things that may not be true, that may not be what the person intended at all, but are indicators of where we don't see ourselves or see God clearly. I know you and I have talked a lot about, you know, my father wounds and the fact that you're a spiritual father to me, which makes me a little more sensitive to things that you do or say. And God just recently using, ironically, the podcast that we recorded last season was said to go, hey, you're not seeing these clearly it's not that Kurt never messes up but there's times where he's he's messing up but it doesn't need to be a big deal it's a bigger deal because of your father wounds and you're seeing it through that lens I never mess up let's just be clear on that (laughs) and I'm not short (laughs) he's like I know you're you've been bringing this to me it's not that you haven't but I want you to bring it to me and sit with me longer and let me speak into it and yeah sometimes you'll still have to say something to Kurt Yeah. But I want you to sit with it first so that you can see exactly where it came from. So you're not just coming with the hurt with no idea of what the trigger totally was or why this was a problem. I like that you revealed there's two ways of surrender. Sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's a process, right? I struggle a lot with surrender at times, like all of us, and and God has to keep inviting me back to keep giving it to him. And that's where that picture of Jesus at his disciples' feet is so powerful because he is patient with us. He's that safe place at our feet, constantly serving us, constantly doing what it takes to get us to relax enough to keep our foot there and and take out the things that are really grinding into our souls, right? Such a good picture, and it's Me being the horsey girl that I am, the one thing I know about horses is that the more frustrated and mad you get, the less far you get with them. Because they're empathetic, right? 
<laughs> half the time you're touching their nerves, literally, because they're right under their skin. So when you're dealing with them and you're tensing up, and if you're touching any part of them, mm. they actually feel it. And so because you're tense, you make them tense, which makes them feel that there's some reason for them to be afraid and for them to not trust you. If you are in a rush to do something, it will take three times as long as this, as if you acted like you had all the time in the world. Mm. I mean, how like God is that? Like He's like, I'm not worried about where you think you need to be. You are right where I expected you to be, and that's fine. Whether or not it looks like your expectations or anyone else's expectations or not. He's like, this is where you are. And I am here with you in this. Just because I'm inviting you into something new or to give these things to me doesn't mean that I'm disappointed in you or that I'm frustrated with you. It's because I don't want you walking around with a limp with these rocks in your hoof. And that's the power of surrender, right? Which only increases the relaxing, right? And the resting. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, let me ask you two questions. What are the detrimental things that happen when we don't surrender to God and we keep avoiding doing that? And what are the beneficial things, again, practically speaking, for us, mind, body, and spirit, when we do surrender? Practically, the bad, you have to run, which means you're avoiding God. Depending on your coping mechanism, it looks different. You know, for me, obviously, we've talked about it. It's a lot of reading, but a lot of numbness, too. I wind up missing out on a lot of joy. At least for me, that that's one of the ones. I mean, obviously, there are much more blatant coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol and pornography, etc. All these other ways to cope in order to not deal with all those other things. You know, all the emotions get shoved down. Well, you can't just shove down the negative emotions. You wind up shoving down the positive ones, too. But they all come with a distance from God and a talus on your heart. And then, you know, you wind up feeling hollow or bored. And that's where it goes from just a bruise, if we're going back to the horse analogy, which I will continually because it's there in my head. You go from just the bruising, which is, it's bad enough. It, 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 will, it will affect the horse for a little bit. But, you know, they recover reasonably quick from that to more of an abscess where it's worked its way beneath the hoof wall and caused something you can't see. You don't necessarily see them right away. And because you don't see them right away, because it's a puncture normally that happens either the rock or something else, it can take months for you to even notice it because the infection has to start building pressure. But when it does, the horse is not going to be useful for a good long while. And it's what happens with us. The further away we get from God, the harder it is to find that initial source of shame. Because now we've covered it with all these other things, which also potentially bring shame and bring hard spots to our heart where we're not looking for it. You know, I mean, we've been friends for years, and... God said, Kurt's your spiritual dad. That was like over a year ago. And it took up until what, like last week for me to go, oh, this is coloring how I see our interactions. Because I had to get through all these other things that I'd used as coping mechanisms in place. 
And that's what happens. The more stuff we pile on, the longer it takes for us to heal, the longer it takes for us to get to the root, to get to that initial rock or nail that caused that puncture. And then it's not fun cleaning it out. It's messy a lot of the times. I've watched videos, actually I've seen, I saw one in person of an abscess getting cut out. It's kind of gross. It smells. It's not pretty and it honestly causes more pain because it's there's more of a deep root to it. Another analogy that comes to mind is the longer you go when you think you may have a cancer, the more it mm. spreads. There's some cancer, like skin, if I remember correctly, if you get it quickly mm-hmm. before it hits you know, the bloodstream, it's easy to deal with. You scrape it right off the surface, right? But there are certain types of skin cancer, once they hit the bloodstream, they go right to the brain. Mm. And that's a whole nother issue. Kind of a similar analogy to yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, and it's, it's like that with our relationship with God when it comes to these things and not giving them to him, not surrendering. You know, obviously sometimes we're not aware. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of times the horse isn't aware. It has to work down through all the other stuff to a part where it hurts and gets stuck there for a while. But just like that, you know, it's part of why spending time with God is so vital. Because we might be unaware of what's going on, but he never is. Right. And the quicker we bring stuff to him, the easier it is to To to, deal with the root issue. Yeah. So what are the benefits? Freedom is the biggest one. You know, you're not walking with that limp that's causing that pain. So you're not automatically reacting to everything. If it does re-trigger, because sometimes it happens... Because I've, I've recognized that I have father wounds doesn't mean the hand won't accidentally trigger me again at some point. Sure. Because there's, sometimes there's deeper layers to these things. But once you start surrendering these things, it's not just surrendering. You're getting an exchange. You're surrendering your wounds and your off way of thinking and seeing things for God's perspective and God's healing. You know, they say hurt people hurt people. Well, wounded people bleed on other people. Yeah. And then you're not bleeding on other people. You know, you're not seeing them through your own wounds. And there's so much freedom in that to go, yeah, they said that, that hurt. But then being able to go, God, this hurts. What's going on? Give it to him and then let it go. When we've still got our own wounds that we're bleeding all over the place, it's very hard to love people who are unlovable. Or feel like they're unlovable. Or feel like they're unlovable when they're having a hard time and they're lashing out and they're angry and acting like everything is everyone else's fault but theirs. When you're surrendering that to God, it stops being about the results. And I think that's a beautiful part of surrender is, well, I'm not just surrendering my wounds and my hurts and how I'm seeing this, but I'm also surrendering control of the results of all my interactions with people. The Bible's very clear, as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. Which means, if you've done everything you can, if you've been obedient to God and you've done it, and it still blows up, it's not on you at that point. Yeah, the big thing I I would say in that, the benefit that goes along with that, is the more you come to God and surrender these things to Him, 
there's you've just taken that junk out of you and given it over to him again it's sometimes it's a continual process but even in that continual process there's that moment of surrender where it's no longer in you it's now on his shoulders and he is far more capable of carrying things than we are let's be honest but that now you've created an empty space in you where this stuff was yeah. This gangrene, this infection, this bruise, this rock. It's now out of the way. And now in that space, you've created a place for God to speak life. And this is what happens. The more you do that, the more you're giving God the opportunity to speak life and love and his joy. Right? You talked about not enjoying those moments when you're hiding because you're hiding from God's voice, which is him speaking joy and peace into you. And the more you're listening to what God is saying as he speaks life into you, the less you're dependent on what other people say in reaction to what you give them. And so you can give yourself away to others from that place of being filled and not needing them to respond in any way in any way that you have expectations for. Their responses are not contingent on your value or identity. They don't speak into it, or you don't let them speak into it because you've been listening to God's voice. You've been surrendering and letting God fill those places with more of who he is, and it's easier to let them be them. That's a huge benefit of surrender. For me, one of the indicators that I'm not surrendering is anxiety and weariness and mm-hmm. getting tired. There's a moment in the scriptures in the book called Exodus where a guy named Moses is about to take God's people from slavery into the land God promised to give them where they could be their own nation rather than slaves. Right at that moment, God says to this man, Moses, He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Jesus says in Matthew 11, which Matthew is one of the accounts of Jesus' life, he's recorded in there by Matthew saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And I love that the lowest qualifier, the minimum requirement to enter (laughs) into Jesus' presence, into into God's presence is weariness. So the great thing is even when we're weary and tired, which is one of the indicators that we're carrying things that we were never meant to carry, that's an indicator. Am I weary right now? Am I really tired? And if I notice that, that awareness is an invitation Mm. to bring it to God and surrender it. So even our weariness and our tired and our numbness, when we notice that stuff, is God's invitation. Hey, come on. Come give it to me. This is the minimum requirement to come into my kingdom is if you're weary and heavy burden. So come on. Notice that you're tired and weary. That's the invitation to come and surrender. So if you're not sure, if you're carrying stuff because you've been carrying it for a long time, if your constant refrain is, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm wiped out, I'm exhausted, that is probably an indicator you're carrying far more than what God is asking you to carry and your invitation is to come surrender it. That's good. So Kim, as we wrap this up, will you pray for those who are 
are listening who may be weary and tired and carrying way too many burdens. Yeah, I can do that. Dad, thank you that you are the safest place to come and rest. You're not waiting for us to get our stuff together or have it all figured out. But all you want us to do is come to you. As Kurt said, if we're weary or heavy burdened, you offer us rest. Dad, sometimes it's really hard. We get so busy and we're not often paying attention to what's going on inside of us. Status so asks that you would give us wisdom to know where to make space for you. Dad, that you would show us the rhythms of our life. That you wouldn't be in last place or an afterthought with us, Father. But that we would make you and spending time with you and seeking you a priority. That doesn't have to look the same for everyone. Father, thank you that you know us so well and you created us so uniquely that spending time with you doesn't always look the same for all of us. Yeah, there, there are certain things like, you know, reading your scripture and, and praying, Dad. Just ask that you would show us how best to make space for you. And in that space, Dad, you would teach us how to be still and know that you are God and listen for your voice because you've promised that your sheep know your voice. Mm-hmm. Dad, show us what it looks like to surrender and exchange all these lies and wounds for your presence and your healing and your truth. We believe, help our unbelief that we receive, overcome our resistance. Yeah, you are good and you are faithful and you are trustworthy and you delight in us. And you are not looking down on us, but you are there in the dirt with us washing our feet and inviting us down there with you. Father, thank you that you delight in sharing your heart and giving us all of who you are. Dad, we just want to surrender all of all of the lies that you don't love us, that you have conditional love, that you are not who you say you are. Dad, we surrender that to you and we ask for your truth. We ask that we would see you more clearly and experience you more deeply in ways that the enemy can't possibly overcome because that's who you are. Dad, you are the great overcomer. And so, Dad, we just place everyone listening to us in your hands. Dad, we bless in the authority and power you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Kim, thank you for sharing your story of surrender and helping us through your story see the powerful benefits and the beauty and the rewards of surrender. Stories do that, but it takes people willing to be honest and authentic, and you are that person, so thank you. Thank you, Kurt, and until next time. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. And if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer, We are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always... Please remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.